Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope. This is where you get to hear how to feel happy, balanced, and worthwhile. How to make that lonely ache vanish and feel empowered, confident, and secure. I'm Lauren Abrams, and I get to help you feel that magic again since going through my own dark night of the soul by chatting with incredible leaders and change agents who give us their messages of hope after overcoming challenges of their own. And today we're talking to writer and co-founder of Institute for Creative Living, Jacob Norby. Are you tired of self-doubt and half-started projects? Are you ready to get back to your joy? You're in for a real treat right now because Jacob helps creatives find their spark again. He's been at that low point and found his path. And now through amazing workshops, his books, more, he helps you perform at your highest levels. And he's here giving you that knowledge so you get to live your dreams and get rid of the struggle and those negative voices straight from a fabulous live Zoom with Anne Lamott that I got to listen to earlier. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hope, Jacob. Oh, thank you, Lauren. I, by the way, it's so much fun that you were on that with uh, the live Q&A with Anne. Isn't she just enviably real and amazing? Yeah. And I've actually seen her in person at UCLA speaking and she's as great as always. And I had my first question was for you was going to be in researching you, I saw that you didn't see TV, any TV or movies until you were 25 years old. And I learned a little while ago and listening to you, it's because you were in a cult. I heard you say that. I never was a TV watcher, but to never see any at all, no sporting events, nothing. <laughs> I find that just fascinating. Well, and I should say that I watch plenty of TV now. I don't have cable, but I watch shows on Amazon Prime and Netflix like, like yeah. we all do. So I've caught up a little bit. No, I, I grew up in that environment that was highly restrictive. And what's been interesting, Lauren, over the many years since I left that is resolving it, resolving the pain and the fear of it, but then coming back to look at the gifts that were there. And my siblings and I were raised in such an anomalous way compared to most of our peers in that we actually were not ever conditioned by, we were conditioned by plenty of things inside of that church environment, but we weren't conditioned by the popular culture. And we therefore developed, had to develop, you know, Cal Newport and different ones who write about how the brain works, talk about the value of boredom and the value of having nothing to do. And so because there wasn't a whole lot of external stimuli in our world, we went outside and made things. And I, I just know, and we read books and we drew and climbed trees. I mean, we just did so much that kids who grew up with television weren't as, it wasn't as needed for them to go do those things because they had plenty of entertainment. So I've been able to look back at that and realize that I was kind of raised in a walled garden from that perspective, psychologically speaking, and really had the benefit of growing up, seeing the world through different eyes than most of the people I was around. So where did you grow up? What part of, were you in this country or? Yeah, no, I was born in, in Santa Rosa, California, but my parents were hippies back then in 73. And my mom was right in the middle of Haight-Ashbury, 1969. So right at the epicenter of everything. They discovered, as many hippies did to their horror, that they couldn't drop enough acid to change, actually change the world. And so they realized, hey, we're running out of money and we have babies now. And so they moved me to Idaho here, Boise, Idaho, in 1973. I was six months old. And then my mother very soon thereafter found Jesus, found this church group. And so I was raised in that for all my childhood, spent my teenage years in Seattle. Okay. And there's just no TV, I take it. Like, yeah, no. yeah, no TV. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so I don't, I have, I, it just, 
interesting, I guess. My parents never watched TV. We didn't grow up with TV really on, but mm-hmm. I mean, there was TV. We watched football on Sunday, or I did, you know, with friends and stuff. Yeah. I don't know. I, so it's just kind of fascinating to me that way. Did you escape? Was it that kind of thing? I know, I know people that were in Scientology that escaped, literally escaped. It wasn't quite to that, you know, if you run down the classic list of attributes of a cult, the group I was part of fit many of them. We didn't live in a compound. We did see the outside world as dangerous, as as full of fear and bad. And so there were many of those different attributes of this of this religion that were highly restrictive. And people who have grown up in a much less harsh experience of Christianity didn't, you know, didn't have as much resistance to push against. So I look at even that during the period of seeking and saying, what is true for me? That really did help me having that clear of a contrast between what was my experience, what was going on in the rest of the world that I think it kind of provided that sort of, you know, how an airplane kind of needs wind as it's taking off to help lift it up. I see that environment as part of what helped me sort of eventually fly away. Okay. Do you and your siblings talk about it now? I'm oh, just yeah, fa- I'm just fascinated by it. I don't want to be insulting. I'm just so fascinated. Well, yeah, you know, it's long enough ago for me that there's no real, I don't really have a whole lot of interest in it anymore as far as trying to figure it out. I've been able to process it and I'm grateful for that. I had a lot of therapy, had a lot of things help <laughs> help me through it. But yeah, there's not a lot of energy in it for me. I don't really lead the conversation anymore. When I first left the group, that was often what I felt like I would have to lead with because most people would, I would run up against these gaps in social context so quickly. Now yeah. that's not really a part of my life. And so I am a lot more excited about talking with people, whether we are raised in a cult or not, we are raised in culture. And most people don't think about this, but the word cult is part of the word culture. And so a culture like in America here is just a really big cult. And if you think about it from that standpoint, like we we are required to be loyal to it. We view other people outside of this as dangerous or at the very least outsiders. You know, when you start thinking about the attributes of mind control and things, and I'm not taking a crack at America, just to say any environment that we live in does have the effect of conditioning our minds and our beliefs. And I really love talking about self-discovery and the kind of self-acceptance that can lead to making space for transformation, which in my lexicon, Lauren, transformation means finding out who we really are and becoming more of that. Yeah, no, I love, I love in researching you, everything. It's why I was excited to interview you, the way you help people to grow and to get to their truth and their authentic selves so they can write. <laughs> well, and, so, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. So they can write. That's just or so aspect. they can be their creative, so they can get to their creative self. So I guess is a much better way to. Well, and I'm not arguing with you, but that's just, it's such a common thing that people say, I'm not that creative. And what I feel so strongly about is that life is meant to be a creative project. Life is meant to be creative expression. And so, so many people show, I feel passionately about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People show up to me and say, I don't think I'm that creative. And to me, that is another way of saying I'm really not that alive. And so I see the creative energy as the spark that started beating your heart before you were even born. It's the spark of energy that keeps galaxies in motion. And if we can understand it from that, it's the life force that's within each of us. And if we look at it that way, it's meant to run through every part of our life, just like blood runs through all of our veins or sap runs through every branch and twig of a tree. And when we start to see it that way, we can begin to take back the power of creating artful lives, you know? So 
with somebody like me, I love to write, but mm-hmm. drawing is not my thing. I would much rather write. That's that's oh, just me. And I do it, sure. it, it. It lights me up. That's what lights me up. That's yeah. And it's for me. So somebody who, and I, a few people come instantly to mind who say, but I'm not creative. How do you help them tap into that part of them? Or they've started things and they go, oh, this sucks. Why am I even bothering? And so they stop, even though maybe they... It really does light them up, whatever it is. It was Mm -hmm. something creative that they stopped because they started beating themselves up. Lauren, I love to start so simply because I feel like we make it too too complicated. Let's go back to what did you love? Oh, let me just ask you this right now. What were some things you loved to do as a child? I loved to read. Okay, what else? That was that was my escape. I love to read. I love to ride my bike. Mm -hmm. What else? And play with my friends. Yeah, sometimes I've one time sitting in a circle of men in a men's group that was part of my therapeutic healing over the years, the leader would pass this talking stick around. And most of these people are, you know, big gruff guys. They're not artists like me. I was one of the very few usual suspects who would show up to something like that. But we were sitting there and he and he said, before we start, what I want you to do is give your name, and then tell something you used to love as a child, to love to do or to love to experience. You wouldn't have to be doing anything. And Lauren, I watched as each man took that stick and let themselves drift back into memory into something they loved. I watched their shoulders drop. I watched their faces soften. And we would laugh together. You know, we were talking about the childish, fascinating things we love to do. And by the time that stick had finished around the circle, Everybody was in tears. And these are these are men. These are dudes. And so many of the wisdom traditions, you know, Christianity, Taoism, Buddhism, all the different ones talk about becoming like a little child again. So when I begin working with people, a lot of times we need to go back through the layers of all this adultish shit that we've built up to say, this is how you be successful and serious and taken seriously and being being respected. And there's nothing wrong with the personas we develop, but if we want to find that real spark, that energy, that aliveness, we have to go back. We have to begin to re-see the world, see the world through different eyes again, you know? The beginner's mind. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I know you, or I I read on, in reading about you, you've got kind of a three-step process. I'm sure it's more for some people, maybe others are, have done other work with where I, I don't know if you have them journal or to go through to get to the self-discovery and and maybe I mean you have to work through your stuff everybody hasn't to get there when yeah. you're working with someone so let's just make sure and articulate that three phases and these are not linear like we do three months of this <laughs> yeah. and three months yeah, of yeah, that. Yeah. can you just get me there fast so I can hurry up and get to that place yeah yeah let's, well and, and actually Lauren that's just one snap of the, my that's, fingers and be there. <laughs> That's one of the problems that we have is that here's let me just let me just articulate it. So in our culture, whether it's in spiritual traditions or success or yoga or you know getting a better body, what we have tended to do is go and look for a model, so a guru or an influencer or somebody who has achieved a certain result that we would like to see more of in our lives. And usually that is starting from a standpoint of Well, it's really deep in there of original sin. I am broken and need a savior. And whether that's religion or business and marketing, we see it constantly where we 
have this belief that I am not really worthy, just I'm not enough just as I am. And so what I love to do then is say, well, let's start with a different model because almost everybody out there talks about transformation. And again, not just in spiritual and religious circles, also in business, also in all these other kind of models out there, personal fitness. And so when we look at transformation, it's becoming moving into a different form. And so many people rather than say, who am I? How can I become more of that? They go, I want to look like or act like or think like that person. I want to think like Adam Grant. So I'm going to read everything Adam Grant's written, and then I'm going to try to match or copy his behaviors as much as I can so that I can become as much like Adam Grant as possible. And that is the old perspective. What inevitably happens in that process is that we do change our behavior and we can achieve some of those results. If we follow that fitness models, 30 day practice or whatever it is, we will likely lose some weight or gain some muscle or whatever it is we want to do. But what is very rarely asked is what is true inside of me? Who am I? And so if you think about a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly or an egg that eventually becomes an eagle or something, a caterpillar never transforms into an eagle. A caterpillar only becomes what is already in its design. And so that starts us with self-discovery. Self-discovery, who am I? Who is this fascinating creature? That leads us then to self-acceptance. And in our culture, we want to leap right to self-acceptance. We want to leap right, okay, yes, yes, yes. I read the books. I'm going to say the mantras. So then I accept myself. I love myself. I believe in myself. It's bullshit. And our mind knows it's bullshit until we go through the process. You have to feel the feelings. There's no shortcut. <laughs> this just isn't. And, and you remind me, we each have our own unique handprint. And nobody can do what you can do the way you can do it or say it or write it or draw yes. whatever it is. It just, I, I love the way you said it. So, yeah, I love that. So I read that you always wanted to be a writer since you were 10 years old, but you didn't come to this till later. Mm -hmm. So how, what, how do you finally remember, oh yeah, I want to be a writer <laughs> and get there? You know, Lori, I think it's so interesting how our inner self, you might want to call it a soul or the authentic self, whatever we want to call that, our inner self leaves clues. And I like to kind of think of the old childhood story of Hansel and Gretel dropping breadcrumbs on the trail. So our self, we drop breadcrumbs along the path of life. And if we find ourselves lost or discouraged, or I don't know if the rest of my life has any meaning at all, we can begin to look back for the breadcrumbs that we dropped and follow, follow them back to ourselves, back home, you know? And so, oh, for me, I'll just give you a couple of those breadcrumbs. So when I went to Bible college, which was part of the church I grew up in, I wrote a paper and the English teacher came and said, I'd really love to, I would really love to read this to the class as one of the examples. And she read a couple of them and then read mine, the last. And at the very end, you know, we were all polite and supportive of the different papers, but at the very end, everyone in the class, there was this like, everyone started clapping and I didn't know what to even take from that. It's like, wow, that feels amazing. And then as an adult, later on, I began to write little things, but I didn't think of myself as a writer. I was just writing. I was just doing what came naturally. And I would notice it. One of my employees would be struggling with an email they were writing and, or a letter they were writing to a partner. And they would say, would you, would you help me with this? And I would sit down and effortlessly in two minutes, write it and hand it to them. And they, and they would say, how did you do that? I said, I don't know. It's no, it does. I don't know. It wasn't hard. And so when I eventually 
had the time and space in my life after the 2008-9 financial crisis. I got completely wiped out. I was an entrepreneur with several enterprises and big office and big house and all the things. And I was completely terrified. I was completely stressed out, felt very lost inside of that life that everyone else would look on and say was so successful. And so having that come along in 2007, before all that happened, I had been invited to go to a meditation retreat. One of my employees, it turned out to be a shamanic initiation. I had never tried any drugs. I didn't know anything about any of this stuff. So that was this tremendous breaking open and experience looking back at it, knowing research since then, I've learned that what I experienced was the equivalent of a near-death experience. And it gave me this snapshot, Lauren, of this is the life you've been creating. Is this all that you want to create? Is your pursuit of success truly in line with this freedom and this connection to the universe that you feel right now and this lack of fear and this tremendous love and this kind of like the last few moments in the American Beauty movie where the character's laying there and he's like, your stupid little life that's so that's so beautiful, so gorgeous. And I had that moment and several of those moments during that weekend. And so I returned to my life and I'm like, I do not know how I get to come back here. Don't know how to line up my life with what I just experienced. And so that was one of those big breaking open moments. And then after, you know, went through the financial crisis and literally lost everything and moved to Austin, Texas with my then wife and three little kids. And we didn't have jobs there. It was just sort of this intuitive, it's time to go, you know, go experience something different and, and start over. And I was working in a warehouse down there. I could not even figure out how to put together a resume that would make sense. The landscapers wouldn't hire me. You know, my resume was full of, you're a CEO, you're an entrepreneur, you're all these things, and nobody wanted to hire me. So I dumped my resume way down and got this job carrying boxes from this warehouse to the main office of this government agency in my Honda Accord. And so I had hours and hours in between box orders as I would sit there in this dusty warehouse. And that's where I picked up Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way. My father had sent me with a copy of that. And he was would have self-described as a blocked creative. He was a beautiful artist, carved violins, made beautiful things out of wood. He just never achieved what you know, he would have thought he could have as far as, you know, financial success. But he gave me that book, The Artist's Way, and said, son, I think this will help you. And he said, someday I'm going to want it back. Well, I opened that book one day in that warehouse and started doing morning pages. And Lauren, I may start getting emotional because it, in going back there in memory, just the experience of reconnecting and then being learning how to listen to myself using that practice, I started writing. And my mother sent me a copy of Bird by Bird. And you and I were just talking with Anne Lamott and had fun with that. That was my book, not Bird by Bird. Um, yeah, there's Bird by Bird. And that book was another that just reminded me, oh, right. I've always wanted to write the thing that I said I wanted to do at 10 years old. And so that's where I really started. But and I know that your show, what you talk about a lot is, you know, the hope and reconnecting and, and going through the dark night of the soul. You mentioned your own. And I've been talking for a long time. So I'd love to hear about your experience of that a bit if you want. No, no, keep going. So because I love that. One of my questions I always ask is, what's the hardest challenge have you overcome? How'd you do it? And so it sounds like this may have been it. Certainly one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always um, careful about saying, oh yeah, that was the biggest one. Cause like- Well, we all go through it. There's no, there's no, you, you, you don't escape life unscathed. My dark night of the soul isn't even my, I, it was dark. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. And it, it is what, prompted actually this podcast step mm -hmm. because I started on a quest of why are we here <laughs> yes. asking a much older demographic okay what have you gleaned from living life and anyway and that that is what 
how this came about, but it's, it certainly isn't my, my darkest, but you know, so we all go through them. And so, yes. Well, and, and, and (laughs) the important thing I think Lauren is sometimes people will go through a crisis and then they'll hear something like you talk or they'll hear me talk and they'll, they'll start to compare well, I guess mine isn't really that bad. I, I really, what's my problem? Why am I still broken? And I just want to say that it really doesn't matter. Any road can lead home to yourself. It doesn't have to be this dramatic story of, you know, loss and redemption. Really, it doesn't. I think that for a lot of people that can that can feel like a barrier. I've talked to a lot of people who are Gen Xers, you know, sort of, so in our age group somewhere who are feeling lost, but they're looking around, they're like, I have the house, I have the retirement account, I've worked really hard. I can't look around me and see any reason why I should be feeling hopeless. And so it can, they can feel very vulnerable, very scary to admit quietly to someone, I don't even know if I can reconnect with why I'm really here, who I really am. And it does not require some kind of a massive meltdown or loss or disaster. Anyone who's listening to this right now and just says, there's a quiet voice in my heart that says there has to be more. My life has to mean more than just this. And even if you look around and say, I have everything that most people would want, or at least most of those things, or I'm very comfortable even, don't let these larger stories of loss and redemption and recovery keep you from taking the journey. You don't have to wait until everything fucking burns down to take that inner journey. Absolutely. Okay. So what would you tell somebody who they have this feeling that there's something they're meant to be doing and they're not doing it? They're not taking that step. You know, one thing that most of us stop doing at a very early age, Lauren, developmentally, is we stop learning how to listen to ourselves. In fact, we were often told, grow up, stop daydreaming, you're being childish, quit that. We get messages so quickly and so early that our feelings don't matter, that our inner voice doesn't matter, that we just need to fall in line with those around us and, you know, stand in line do the regular thing, do the conforming thing, because that's safe. And there's, and that's not some evil conspiracy against us. It's just the way that being enculturated works, that being conditioned works. And so to recover a sense of that inner voice, I love to start with a very simple practice. And I think you're going to put it maybe in the show notes, but there's at creativeselfjournal.com. I have a very simple three-question journaling practice. And by the way, Julia Cameron has uh, reviewed this and and approved it for use in morning pages if you're an artist way follower. But I love this three simple question process because it's one of those steps back toward being able to find out who we really are, what we really want in life, what we really need. And it's the, the, oh, and by the way, it's totally free, Lauren. I love it because it's something I use literally every single day in my own journal. And it becomes this communication between myself and myself, myself and the universe, it's, it really becomes a dialogue, not just a static dump out on paper. But the first question is, how do I feel right now? And I would invite everyone listening right now. It doesn't have to be some complicated thing. How do I feel right now? Just check in. <sighs> and that can be very mundane. Like, oh, I'm didn't, I've been working really hard and I didn't get enough sleep last night. So I feel a little tired and wired and fried. Oh, good. Interesting. Or I'm feeling anxious about this job interview that I'm getting ready to have, or this first date that I'm getting ready to have, or this hard conversation I need to have with my partner or my child or my friend. Oh, good. Interesting. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling tired or I'm feeling really good. Wow. I woke up and I feel wonderful today and it's Friday and I get to have this thing I'm going to do this weekend. The bottom line is what we're doing is we're reflecting an important message to our psyche, which is I matter. 
I'm here to listen. Second question is, what do I, what do I need right now? First question, how do I feel right now? Second question, what do I need right now? And I started, as I started doing this practice, when I developed it years ago, Lauren, I discovered how often I was ignoring my most basic needs. Oh, I'm really tired. I need a nap right now, or I need to pee right now. I need a drink. Or you know what, maybe they're larger, more existential needs. You know, I need to really find out my direction. And all of those things belong in those pages, in that dialogue with ourselves. That's a great and, question. Right? Yeah. yeah. Do I, I don't right think I, I don't think I even ever think about that one. The feeling, and by the way, for the feeling one, I just want to throw in, if you grew up like me, not knowing your feelings, mm -hmm. Google feelings list. There's a ton mm. of them. <laughs> There's so many. What um, a great suggestion. Like yeah. even, not even knowing what to even call this feeling is a lot of, a lot of people, right? Yeah. 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 So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt yeah. here because I want to know the third question too, but oh, uh, no, I, I, love I, hadn't, this. I hadn't even thought of like, what do I need right now that I never... That's great. Listen, Lauren, our um, brains are full of yeah. buzzing bees all day long. We often wake up with those anxiety bees buzzing around in our heads. And because we do live such fast paced lives, a lot of times we don't even know how to stop and take 10 minutes to listen to those things. And often we then then we feel ashamed even about making a list of them, or it feels like a waste of time. Let me just tell you that if you send, if any of us sits down for 10 minutes a day and asks these three questions, what will happen is you begin to send important messages into your subconscious, into your psyche that say, I matter, my needs matter, what I care about matters, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that begins to heal that that connection to our inner creative self, to the inner spark of life that brought us here in the very first place. What does this creature of me care about right now? What does it need right now? And if any of us who grew up in somewhat either severely or moderately abusive situations and with trauma in our developmental years, many times we had to turn that voice off so quickly just to survive, just to cope. And so whether you dealt with the big T traumas or just the thousand paper cuts traumas of, you know, going to high school or having being in an overly critical home environment or something like that. The fact is we got messages that say what you, who you are, what you are, what you care about, what you need really doesn't matter that much. And so we learn to turn those antennas off. And then the third question is, what would I love? Now, Lauren, I developed this process when I was going through a, a patch of real depression, really feeling like time was running out in my life, like I might never have enough energy to accomplish the things that mattered to me. In fact, that was about the time that I was writing and finishing the book, Blessed Are the Weird. And so it was, It was. I felt ashamed even at the time of even admitting these things to myself because, you know, I'm this published author and I'm sharing things and teaching, but here I am feeling scared and crazy inside of my own little world. And as I would develop this practice, when I, when I asked that third question, what would I love? Now that could be a creative sort of big vision question. I would love to write this book and publish it, or I would love to found the Institute for Creative Living or found a podcast series called 52 Weeks of Hope. But many times when people are going through really difficult emotional or mental situations, that is asking too much to skip way out ahead into some inspiring vision for the future. What if we can ask that question a different way? And I often do this if I'm going through a difficult time emotionally, how would I love to feel? Ooh, that's how good. would I love to feel. Mm. And I, I remember writing and sometimes still do, well, I'm getting ready to go into this, what appears to be a tense meeting, and I'm feeling insecure about how I will 
stand up for myself or how I'll handle the situation, what I need. Well, I'd certainly need clarity. I need a sense of calm. How would I love to feel? Oh, you know what? I would love to feel calm and confident, like I can handle this situation. I would love to feel a lot less anxious. And sometimes then that will lead me into saying, well, and I like to start that how, what would I love section with the phrase, I'm so happy and grateful now, and I'll underline the word now, mm-hmm. that dot, dot, dot. And what that does is helps me create what Dr. Joe Dispenza would call a future memory. So that helps yes. me get out of this thing I'm feeling right now. And it's like, oh, well, let me see myself sitting in that conference room in that situation and look how calm I am. Look how solid I feel and begin to then time travel forward into a situation where I'm allowed to just in my imagination, which is where it all begins, just in my imagination, see myself in this state of whatever it is that I would love to feel right then. And you know what, Lauren, I've used that process for the last six or seven years. And it is part of the many different reasons. But one of the key reasons why I've been able to move from a place of what felt like real insecurity about my future, insecurity about my finances, insecurity about myself into a state of feeling really alive and inspired and so excited to be creating things. I was telling a, my girlfriend the other day, you know, that four years ago, I was so exhausted, so a feeling so afraid and out of time. I didn't know if I would ever regain the amount of courage and willpower and focus and enter just the sheer energy needed to create things that mattered to me. And that felt like a pretty bleak outlook. And so I just want to say that it's one thing to sit here and talk about, you know, creating these wonderful things and writing these books. And I, all of them I love, and we need to be inspired by these things. But I also want you to know that anyone listening, if you're feeling like, I just don't know if I have what's it, what it takes at all to even get up off the mat this time, let me just invite you that part of the road back is very, very simple. It doesn't cost any money and it takes about 10 minutes per day. It's begin listening to yourself. And if you want to use those three questions, that's a great place to start. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely love those. It's a great answer to my question. And I love journaling. I give journals often as, you know, oh, put a put a review <laughs> on and, you know, do whatever, you know, and right. I'll send you my favorite journal. But these are amazing. And my favorite journal, by the way, is simple. Uh, <laughs> it's very simple. And it's along this vein anyway. Uh, by the way, Lauren, I'm just going to show you, this is a proof copy. We've got to figure out how to hold uh, yeah, this. I saw, I saw the, I saw you had posted a proof copy of. Yeah. I love well, this it. is a commemorative version for the writer's retreat because it has a quote by Sark and one by Anne Lamott and one by Julia on here. And I love this little bit on there from and she says right into the emotional center of things right toward vulnerability risk being unliked tell the truth as you understand it if you're a writer you have a moral obligation to do this and it is a revolutionary act truth is always subversive and that's really what we're talking about and you know what we don't have to be so bold and brave out there in the rest of the world yet what Anne's talking about is right toward vulnerability in the very private pages. We don't have to suddenly become this great heroic figure of boldness and invulnerability. Like start privately, start in the pages of our journal. And like yeah. you said, simple. Yeah, that's that's this is just a bunch of blank pages to write and, on. And I love she's you're a writer if you're writing. If you're writing, you're a writer. That, right. That's it. it. It's like <laughs> it is that simple. It's I that mean, simple. I started podcasting and I'm a podcaster. Like, okay, it's, you know, all the imposter syndrome and everything else that I always talk about on here. Just walk. You have to acknowledge the fear and feel the feelings and everything else. Tell some people so you're not just in your head and then walk through it. 
right. <laughs> nobody's paying that much attention to you. S- somebody had an idea on the on the Q and A that you and I were both on earlier today with Anne Lamott. Somebody put in the chat, "Why don't you guys get a little badge that says some like something like officially you're a writer or something like that <laughs> that we could all have from the retreat?" And I, I may create something like that. It sounds like fun. I'm a writer. Yeah, that's right. Just like <laughs> I'm a writer. <laughs> that's uh, it. That's a big deal. You know, in fact, on the front of this on the front of this journal, it says. I am a writer. I write to yeah. heal. I write to create. But I think that owning, we we wait for somebody else to come along and say, you're good enough. You deserve this. Yeah. You are legitimate. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's the whole, I don't belong. And somebody called me earlier and was telling me all these things. She's feeling guilty because she doesn't want to do this thing for the school and that thing. And I go, I give you permission to say no. Okay. Do you now have permission? Is that you feel better? Like, okay. So anybody listening, you have permission to say no. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, that's the whole Elizabeth Gilbert. It's say no to the things you want to do yeah. so that you can get your writing written or whatever it is you want to do so you can get it done. So do you have a message of hope you want to give? I was just tapping into the heart of the universe. I'm I know just, you were. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm going to say something so profound. No, I just want to say that, listen, who you really are is enough. And the voices, if there are voices in you that are saying that's not true, I want to encourage you to listen to the quieter voice. Listen to the voice that began when you began. It says, you belong here. You deserve to be here. You matter. Just that. It's so simple. And little by little. Start some kind of a practice, some sort of a process daily where you can, you know, Lauren, I'm very careful about dogma, having growing up with so much dogma, you know, telling people this is exactly what you need to do. Let me just say this, though. In the times of change, we live in these in this crazy tsunami of change, like every day we're dealing with input that says you have to adapt, adapt, adapt. And it's really moving too quickly for our organism to absorb, to metabolize effectively. And so it's no wonder that all of us feel a little crazy, anxious, wired out of our minds. And we look at the news and there's just too much going on. And so it's easy to let our attention get focused on all of that. And I just want to say that a practice of coming home to yourself every day, just a little bit, will bring that little spark of sanity, of hope, and for example, look out your back door and maybe maybe you can sweep your patio and plant a flower or this time of year where I live is getting cold. Go get a pumpkin and put it on your back porch and give yourself a couple of artful moments a day, just one or two artful moments where you do something that reminds you that I'm here, I'm an artist. And being an artist might just mean putting a pumpkin on your back porch and smelling the smells of fall, for example. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. Putting your hand on your heart, taking breaths. Exactly. (laughs) It all works, all of it. Yeah. Oh, this was great. Thank you so much for being a guest today on 52 Weeks of Hope. And for anybody who listens to this before the end of October, and I will have all the links, of course, on the website, there's a fabulous retreat. Do you want to talk about it? Oh, yeah, we didn't talk. I don't no, think we actually said what the retreat is. Totally, totally good. And Lauren, let me just say before I say anything more about that, thank you for doing this. I love that you followed the voice of your inner self that said you need to share messages of hope. I think the world is is so in need of that kind of light right now. So thank you for doing this. It's beautiful.
Thank you. And I'll talk about the retreat briefly. So it's Anne Lamott, it's Julia Cameron, it's Sark. It's kind of like, well, these three teachers, even the though they're, list. Yeah, they're in the same age group and they have never taught on the same weekend in the same place together. Oh, and wow. so it is really exciting for me to have three people I know personally, I love as friends, I love as heroes in the writing world and in the healing world. It is so exciting for me to share them with everyone. And, you know, we have this happening right in Marin, California, but we also, and son Sam, many of you have met Sam Lamont through his mom's books. Yeah. Sam is going to be teaching there and he's also running this technology so that we can share the whole retreat with people from around the world. So you, whether you join us in person or you can't travel and take on all that expense and time, you can also buy a much more affordable ticket to just join us for the live broadcast. And by the way, Lauren, everybody who signs up for this will get access because Sam is going to be shooting this in great quality. So we'll have full replays of the whole retreat that everybody who has a ticket gets access to for a year. So they don't just have to come once. You know how it is when you go to a retreat of yeah, some yeah. kind? Yeah, take it all away. And it's like, oh no, I, I'm not going to remember any of this. It's like, well, you have a whole year to keep re-experiencing the things that mean the most to you. So yeah. Oh, and you can find that at, uh, well, it's in the show notes, right? It's W. Yeah, yeah, it'll be on the website. I okay. All of it. Yes, yes. All right. Yep, definitely. It will be that. Yeah, and it's very affordable, by the way. So I just want to throw that in. So yeah, so that'll all be on the website, 52weeksofhope.com. And thank you again for being a guest. And thank all the links so to get to Jacob will be there too. <laughs> thank you, Lauren. Yeah. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and take with you Jacob's messages of meaning, connection, and simplicity. Such great messages to take into your week ahead. If you're on the email list, I gave some great confidence suggestions and why compare and despair is never a good idea. Their confidence tips were all about to give yourself a break, give yourself some grace, and celebrate any wins. It's tough sometimes these days. Do you ever take a second, a moment, and just close your eyes and think, wow, I really did a good job today, or just to celebrate yourself. So be kind to yourself this week. Give yourself patience and compassion, the same compassion you'd give your friends. Be sure to tune in next week for another empowering episode all about overcoming challenges and how to hone in on your superpower and live the life that you know you're called here to live. Learn how to stop feeling uncomfortable in your skin and get rid of that empty something's missing feeling and learn how to tap into your inner joy and become that empowered rock star you know you are be sure to get on the email list if you're not already and you just go to the website at 52weeksofhope.com to do that or text 66866 the number 52 hope to 66866 and you can get on the email list that way if you're enjoying the podcast share the love and tell two of your friends leave us a review we just had a really great review from it looks like it's love to laugh and she says what an inspiration lauren is she's positive and truthful and i'm so amazed at her transparency at all times and she says she can always listen to this podcast and feels comforted at any time and she's that the podcast enriches her life and she's grateful for it. So thank you so much. Love to laugh for such a great review. I'm grateful that you listen and that you're enjoying it so much. So I'd love to hear any feedback. And on the email, there's a way you can leave a voice review or a voice message. Let me know and we can play that on here. So again, I'm Lauren Abrams. Thanks for listening.